The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Bud Elliott. I'm Chip Patterson. Monday, August 30th, game week for week one. We've got a lot to get to. This is a busy, busy day, and that's why we are excited that we are going to be doing these Monday shows live because so much of what we are talking about on Monday afternoons is what we've been learning through the day. We've had press conferences all across. I mean, 24-7 Sports is powering a lot of our content, so as always, a hat tip to all of those great writers. Make sure you get a VIP subscription. You can get your first month for $1, and you can go and find uh, your favorite team, get in on those message boards, get those intel they are there at these press conferences and uh you know they've they've got their finger on the pulse we still have some lingering uh thoughts from week zero we did 50 minutes on nebraska illinois and guess what there's follow-up there is more follow-up on nebraska illinois we will get to that uh just a little bit later uh, again if you want to jump in uh offer a comment we might get a chance to uh, address those throughout the show i want to begin with uh, news that was broken over the weekend on saturday and then confirmed by steve sarkeesian at his monday press availability that hudson card would be named the starting quarterback for the longhorns season opening game against louisiana in austin that means that he beat out Casey Thompson, who played very, very well in the bowl game, who had been Sam Ellinger's backup for the last two seasons on campus for three, uh, a redshirt freshman, Hudson Card. Uh, there are some things that that can tell us about the battle itself, one that we had been discussing for a while here on the Cover 3 podcast, what to expect from Texas's offense. And so um, as we've got just a long list of starting quarterbacks being named or not named, hello, Florida State, I wanted to start at Texas with a ranked opponent on deck here in the season opener for Steve Sarkeesian. What are we thinking about Hudson Card beating out Casey Thompson for that job? Man, I love that you called Louisiana a ranked opponent, Chip, and I would like to continue that that narrative because it is very factual. Louisiana is ranked. Come on, everybody, let's get this betting line down to seven. Eight is not enough. I, I want seven so I, I can come in and hammer Texas. Uh, I I will tell you that I knew some guys on on the prior Herman staff uh, who thought the Casey, or, excuse me, that, that Hudson Card was eventually likely to be very good. They just didn't know when. Um, but I think this is very encouraging and. 
you know, I, I read Chip Brown's reporting. We actually talked about this, was it last week or two weeks ago, that he thought that reading the tea leaves, it was going to be Hudson Card. Looks like he was right about that. Also, some of the comments that were made uh, to Bruce Feldman by that staff, I thought were kind of eye-opening, right? That they're that confident that he's going to be really good really soon. I, I think, I mean, look, it, it's Texas. Texas is an absolute hype factory. But there is a chance that they may have really hit on QB here. I mean, I, I think that it's based on what we, like you were saying, but based on what we've heard recent weeks, I'm not that shocked by it. I think that obviously, I mean, from what we saw of Casey Thompson in the bowl game last year and how he, well he played against Colorado, the fact that Hudson Card's beating him out, I feel like is probably good news because Casey Thompson looked like a good quarterback for them last season. And he was obviously was familiar with the program, but again, new coach coming in, new offense, it's going to look a little bit different. So everybody's kind of starting with a fresh slate. So for Card to get it just kind of shows how well he's played throughout the spring and summer and into fall camp and he earned that job. But what I'm wondering is like, what's the over under on when Casey Thompson enters the transfer portal? <laughs> Well, they did say today during Sark's press conference that both will play, mm-hmm. and it was a very tough decision, which uh, <clears throat> if I, th- I think he'll stick it out there this year. I do not think he's going to jump in the portal right now. If you're a player who's watched, let's say you're Casey Thompson, does it impact you at all what happened to Illinois over the weekend? Like seeing Brandon Peters get hurt in the game, and you're the backup, and you get to play. Like, it, like if you truly want to play, like – is this the time you want to transfer? That's what gets frustrating me with the timing of some of these transfers. Like when Joey Gatewood gets announced and within 12 hours, he's gone. That to me says, well, man, you just want to take your ball and go home. But sometimes if it's a close battle and you barely lose out, guess what can happen? Either the guy gets hurt or he's not very good and you still get an opportunity. So hopefully, and everyone's situation is different. I get it, but... I don't know. It was just something I observed when I was watching the game. I'm like, I wonder if all these transfers ever think about, yeah, I might have lost the job, but it is a physical game. Not not everybody can be Swagkowski, though, Danny. <laughs> that is true. Ready for the moment right away. Um, so I think that this is, uh, and shout out to our uh, former guest of the Cover 3 podcast. I'm sure he's listening either now or uh, you know will be listening soon, Ben Kerchival. He noted, Austin native, Ben Kerchival, that – if you really want to take this Texas offense and if you really want to go all, all gas, no breaks, if you're going to be playing with a, a very um, you know, up-tempo pace, then having a quarterback who is really mobile and who has the athleticism, who when the defense isn't lined up right because of your tempo, can go ahead and go steal seven yards in a first down. You know, He can just get out there, read it, make it happen. If the offensive line misses an assignment, guess what? Your quarterback now has the ability to break free from the pocket, keep his eyes down the field, try to make something happen. I think that to me, this is from a skill set perspective, helps me understand what Texas's offense is going to be. But also when you go back and read Chip Brown's reporting again at Horns 247, Casey Thompson, man, had this had this opportunity, and it was turnovers. It was uh, not being able to take care of the ball, interceptions. Those ended up being how Casey Thompson had a lead, then lost the lead, was based on what was happening in these scrimmages. And while you weren't necessarily having these wild stats for Hudson Card, you at least were having the the, the lack of the turnovers that you had for the other ones. So a missed opportunity for Casey Thompson. I understand why he would be disappointed. But regardless of seeing what had happened at Illinois, don't you think that Casey Thompson probably sticks around for a little bit? I do. 
Yeah, I, I think he will. Um, now, maybe after this year, he'll reconsider. But I think ultimately right now, there's no real reason for him to go anywhere. Like He's not going to go somewhere else and start immediately. Illinois already started, so I don't think he can join, you know, join them. <laughs> um, I, I think he'll stick around. I, I thought Danny made a really good point there. I, absolutely. So when we uh, when we look across the entire country, uh, we also had I believe this is still reported as we are live on YouTube at youtube.com slash cover three. Keep those questions coming. Uh, we will be pulling them out. Full episodes available a little bit later today, as well as on podcast, wherever you get your podcast. But it's looking like Anthony Brown is going to be the starter out at Oregon and uh, Ty Thompson, who had been pushing him for that job. He will be the number two is I'll pair this one with Cade McNamara, who uh, is the starter for Michigan, do these fall align in line with your expectations of what was going to happen in those quarterback battles? Yeah, I, I think for the most part with Anthony Brown, I, I'm not surprised that, and if you just think of Mario Cristobal's history as a head coach, particularly at Oregon, like when they had Justin Herbert, who went on to be, you know, a first-round NFL draft pick and played really well in his first season with the Chargers. Mario Cristobal's tendency in that Oregon offense has been kind of be more conservative than I think they really need to be considering some of the talent that they have. So I'm not shocked that Cristobal is coming in with Anthony Brown, a guy who maybe doesn't have the greatest ceiling compared to Ty Thompson and his, you know, a former four-star recruit in the 2021 class, but is coming in as a freshman. I think that he's more comfortable with the floor and maybe Anthony Brown's ability to take care of the ball and not mess things up. Kind of like what, you know, you we were just talking about with Hudson Card and Casey Thompson at Texas, where Oregon maybe feels like, listen, we don't need our QB to really be outstanding and lead us to wins in this in this division and in this conference. We're better on we're, we've got more talent than most of the teams we're gonna be facing. So as long as we don't just don't do anything stupid, we should be able to win most of those games. And I think this allows them a chance to work Ty Thompson in slowly. Like I think that Anthony Brown is going to be the starter, but I think we're going to see plenty of Thompson, particularly in some non-conference games against lesser opponents to work him in and get him acclimated because he is a highly rated recruit and he is the kind of guy that could be one of the better quarterbacks in the country going forward. So I'm not shocked. I It does concern me a little bit, though, because, you know, I, our expert picks came out on the site today, Chip, you know, our, who we've got in the playoff. I'm joined by a bunch of cowards who picked nobody but Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, or Oklahoma to be in the playoff. I'm the only one to choose anybody from outside those five schools. And I chose Oregon just because I do think that they're the best team in the Pac-12 and that if they win the conference and they have a really good record, I think they're going to get into that fourth spot. But I will say I'm, I'm a little bit more hesitant about that pick now with Anthony Brown as a starter just because I don't think he offers that same kind of ceiling. Tom, would you have made, would you have put your hard-earned money on Oregon making or were you like, I want to pick somebody different? I have a future out on Oregon to win the Pac-12, and I have a future out on Oregon to reach the playoff, yes. Nice. I like it, because I, I used to be the guy that was like, let me put a flyer in there, right? Let me just see if this team can get hot. More times than not, as we've seen, chalk wins out. But I do, I echo your sentiments. I'm a little bit bummed by this. I thought the upside was there with Ty Thompson, but here's the thing I think you're looking at if you're Mario Cristobal. I think you're... I think you're going to go with the veteran, you know, who's been around Ty Thompson, true freshman. You still want to give him an opportunity to kind of, do you really want to throw them to the wolves? Cause they have two tough games, I man. I know Fresno state, they're going to be favored, but then they go on the road to Columbus. If, if they go one and one and let's say Anthony uh, Brown is so, so, you know, it'd be a great opportunity to make a switch. 
when you come back against Stony Brook and then you play Arizona <laughs> yes. and then you play Stanford, like that's the time to make a switch and go with a true freshman. And in the bigger picture, like scheme of things, if they somehow, let's say Anthony Brown is the guy and they pull off the upset, then you just roll with them. But, like you, but you can always have that kind of ace in the hole with Ty Thompson there sitting there in the wings if you want to go to it. Tom, what did you, uh, what did you get it at, by the way? Like plus 700, plus 750? Uh, I know that the playoff. conference, the winning the Pac-12 was 250. I think to make the playoff was about, yeah, 700, 750. I don't have it in front of me. And uh, and following along with us at youtube.com slash cover three is Cody, who chimes in and calls him Washington as he is explaining his <laughs> deeply <laughs> rooted Oregon fandom that he has talked himself into with analysis over the last two months uh, wearing a Washington shirt. Uh, there's a there's an or at Florida State, uh, Danny Bud. I don't know if we've got any intel or any predictions there. Joe Milton was named the starter at Tennessee. Uh, there's a couple other pieces of news. Tanner Mordecai reportedly at SMU. What stands out to y'all as some of the other updates that we've gotten on the uh, on a depth chart Monday? I think Mordecai uh, winning the SMU job suggests to me they'll, they'll keep rolling for sure. Um, I think SMU will score a lot of points. I'm trying to think what else. Jake Hayner again reported that that was just a, a full body cramp. So that that one is certainly uh, of interest to me this uh, you know this Monday as they go to play Oregon. This I weekend. wish I was athletic enough to have like a full body cramp. Yeah, wasn't that full body cramp? We're playing <laughs> UConn. The full body cramp is like, like I don't, yeah, you, I don't think you can have a full body cramp if you're out of shape because like your muscles aren't doing anything anyway. <laughs> <laughs> you might be onto that. Um, I think Jordan Travis is going to start, don't you, Bud? Yes. Like, I mean, I feel pretty confident. That's no inside. That's no coach telling me anything. I just kind of reading the tea leaves, seeing where it is. I think there was such an assumption made that because transfers come in and we've seen some, you know brand name universities we've seen transfers come in and make this immediate impact Mackenzie Melton was an unbelievable quarterback when he was healthy at UCF and Florida State needed a quarterback that it just felt so automatic it felt like this feel-good story I think it's a combination of where is Mackenzie Melton with his health I think so there's a there's a tentative you know a, a cautious look at Mackenzie Melton for Florida State staff and they've been saying you know Jordan Travis has as a, a full off season with the staff, hands on, you know, being outside, which he which he missed with this Mike Norvell staff. They've been raving about his evolution as a passer. So we'll see if it translates. I mean, I, I know the scrimmage that I watched. They both played okay. They both made like one big play. Um, they both had a couple, you know, plays that broke down and made some runs. But for me, I just think it's going to be Jordan Travis versus the Notre Dame. From everything you kind of hear and coming out of there. So you were at the first scrimmage then. I was at the one. No, it was the one that was the indoor practice facility. I don't know. It was the for the might have been the, the first one. Uh, yeah, with, I think with, it was with Bobby's first. funeral. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, I believe that Jordan Travis has practiced substantially more than Mackenzie Milton has practiced so far this fall. Uh, for health reasons? The foot thing, yeah. right? <clears throat> yeah. And they've also had a decent amount of contact tracing at FSU um mm. this fall, which I think has made uh at least one week of practice a little bit less productive than maybe they would have hoped. Um I think that there is a chance for Mackenzie Wilton or Mackenzie Milton to win this job uh, at some point this season. He has flashed occasionally. I know he had one really good day of practice. I know he had one really good week of practice back in the spring. 
but you have to actually practice to show it. And I just don't believe that he's been able to do that enough. So I expect to see a lot more Jordan Travis in this game. Were you all as surprised as I was that Hendon Hooker did not end up being named the starter at Tennessee and that Joe Milton, sort of the late arrival to that quarterback room? I mean, we saw Brian Maher transfer out recently. So that was, okay, it ain't going to be him. Um, as Milton is named the starter for Josh Heupel, did that did that come as a shock to y'all? No. I mean, I, I, I think that reading the tea leaves there the last couple of weeks, I thought it was trending towards Joe Milton. And I'm really looking forward to like seeing like a deja vu kind of moment where his last season when Milton started the season for Michigan and they faced a, you know, COVID depleted Minnesota team to open the year. Milton looked fantastic. There was a lot of hype surrounding him. And then, you know, reality kind of set it and he wasn't able to live up to it. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how Tennessee fans react to Milton tearing up Bowling Green on Saturday <laughs> and how they think that's going to affect them going forward. Because we've, we've talked about it on this show plenty of times. I was high on Milton last year. I had hopes for him. He's got a huge arm. Accuracy has been bad. a bad problem <laughs> for him. So it's it's going to be interesting to see if Josh Heupel can figure out a way to rein in both the strength of that arm, but also account for the fact that, you know, when he pushes it further, the further downfield he pushes it, the less likely it is to reach its intended target. So it'll be interesting to see how they kind of implement those two things together. That veer and shoot offense, which is basically what they run, they're running that Brile stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So there's, there, Danny, you saw it in in, uh, in 2019 at FSU with, with, with Kendall Bryles. Um, you Arkansas fans see it now. Tom's exactly right. Like it's a lot of throws outside the numbers. You get very clear coverage reads because you do have the receivers you know, so far. <laughs> Outside the numbers, you got a pretty good indication if you're going to have safety help or not, because unless you're playing like Bama, the safety ain't going to get there in time if he's not lined up and, and, and cheating there that way. Uh, I think that could simplify some reads for Joe Milton. I also think Milton is a really uh, powerful runner mm-hmm. and somebody who I think in space is going to be difficult for some of these defensive backs to tackle. It wouldn't also shock me if they if they played Hooker as well in this game. I mean, it's Bowling Green. Tom, you notably took under one and a half on yes. Bowling Green in our win totals locks pod. We have a locks fight Go about this. Pretty sure that you'll get your your L for this one that you want. Um, I, I mean, I, I played Tennessee this morning, laid to thirty four. Like if Josh Heupel was brought to Tennessee to sell tickets and get them through the upcoming tough times, especially if the NCAA lays the hammer down. Since they self reported all that stuff to you know get a get a, a reduced price on fire and Jeremy Pruitt. He was bought there to sell tickets to score points. What other games on the schedule you're real confident they're going to score a ton of points in? This is the game to light it up. I think they'll they'll score in the 50s, but I think both guys will be able to play. But it would be hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> they lost the bowling green. Oh, oh, wow. And uh, we've already, listen, week zero already delivered uh, on that front. Um, and so uh, I'll use this as an opportunity just to pivot to existing um existing conversation. And and I think that this is a a good question from Jack, youtube.com slash cover three. Jack asks, so what's the biggest factor in the difference between Frost's success at UCF and his failure at Nebraska? Talent. You think it's more talented teams at UCF? He had a talent advantage almost every time at UCF. I mean, there were some good teams, but you have really good talent there. At Nebraska, he does not have an edge. And this is, the same for everybody across the country at schools that are mid-tier in their conference. And it used to be at Nebraska, you could recruit with the best teams in the country. So guess what? Then you're one of the powerhouses. You get things rolling. You could sell recruits. Hey, come to Nebraska. You're going to play on national TV and you're going to compete for national championships. 
now kids don't really care about either. They want to go to the NFL. They they know they're going to be on the t- on TV any any anyway wherever they go because everyone's on national television. And you have to live in Lincoln. You know, like it's in the middle of nowhere. It's a tough sell. It's not as easy to coach there anymore. Now I, that has nothing to do. I think they had better talent on Saturday. Like that's a whole other discussion. And they did look poorly coached in that game, and they got out coached. And the players made a bunch of boneheaded mistakes. And you're like, how does this happen? You know, but like. It's an interesting dynamic because I can guarantee you that the return guy has been taught, start at the 10, if you retreat, you let it go. I mean, since everyone's been playing peewee, like that's what you're taught, but why doesn't it register? That's a whole nother thing. Like that's beyond me. And I think you could see some of that frustration on Scott Frost's face and in, in, in uh, comments after the game. I was doing some research for something on McKenzie Milton, actually, and I went back to UCF's roster. Uh, do you know how many guys who caught passes from McKenzie Milton ended up playing in actual NFL games? Four or three? Six. Six. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so <Talent>. like <laughs> he legitimately had a number of guys who didn't just, you know, make a practice squad. Like they actually played in the NFL games. UCF had some really good players there at the skill positions. They had, I think, first of all, I do think Frost is a pretty good offensive coach. And he was running a nice, a nice system there and did a great job. O'Leary did a pretty good job recruiting for them. The biggest issue I see at Nebraska is that if Frost was going to work, they were going to need to force everybody else to play in Nebraska's game, which was going to be an explosive, a little bit more wide-open game. And I think that would put schools like Wisconsin and Iowa and Northwestern and Purdue and all of them, maybe not Purdue so much, in a bit of a, an uncomfortable spot. However, the attrition that they have suffered with those early classes that they've signed, I mean, only 40% of their 2018 class looks like it's on pace to stay at Nebraska through their eligibility. And I also took out guys who went pro early, if they had any, uh, for this little study I was doing. So they've had a ton of attrition. A lot of the better-ranked players they've signed, I'm beginning to think were actually available for them to sign for bad reasons, either character or academics or flakiness. They've had a lot of dudes that lasted a month, man, or three months, and then went back home to Florida or Georgia. The talent on that roster does not reflect what they have signed in the recruiting ranks. And part of this because they just ain't on, on the team anymore. I, I don't think that they were – do they look that much more athletic than Illinois, do y'all? No. no. To me, they didn't. And, I mean, I was thinking about it, too, because we talk about the attrition that they've had is from the recruiting classes. But I was thinking of it from, like, the skill positions where I was looking at the talent. And it's like I realized, you know, Illinois in the slot has Isaiah Williams, who was would have been a five-star recruit had he been – committed to playing wide receiver out of high school. Instead, he wanted to be quarterback, so he's docked to a four-star. They had Luke Ford, a four-star, former highly rated four-star tight end out of Illinois who originally started at Georgia before transferring back. And it, did, it didn't really think about it before the game, but it's like, no, wait, Illinois has more talent at the skill positions than this Nebraska team does. And I think the biggest shock to me from that game, too, was we've talked about the skill positions. I thought Nebraska was getting pushed around in the trenches for most of the game, too. And I've, I've talked up Illinois' offensive line, and I, I've said there's a couple NFL guys on there. So I wasn't too shocked to see them winning some of those battles. But on the other side, this was an Illinois defensive line the last couple of years that wasn't exactly a force as far as getting into the backfield and disrupting plays. They were getting into the backfield and pushing Nebraska back on nearly every single snap. And that was something that's very concerning to me going forward, too. All right. Can we just like Adrian Martinez is a problem? Yes. Right. Like, and I feel mm. bad because he was getting so much 
like it was cyberbullying watching like this all the Adrian Martinez <laughs> jokes that were going around and I felt awful for him because if social media would have been around I would have been in that position at some point in my career we've all been there but that is a quarterback who is just shell-shocked right now and you could see it you could see his he has confidence. No, help. no he has no help but then you compound that with uh, just uh, all, lost all confidence. And you could see it. there was a throw coming out when he was coming out. It almost was a pick and he was coming out of his own end zone and he threw like a little quick hitch and you could just tell like his footwork was tentative, his arm, he like trying to guide the ball. He's trying to plan not to screw up and then he makes it worse. Cause then you screw up worse. I mean, I, almost I felt as a coach, like you should have just gotten like, and at some point you might have to do this. Like you have to mercy bench him because it's so bad. You just got to give him a breather and get him out of there. I tell you what, though, he did claw his way back in the game. So, like, I, I give him credit for putting his body on the line. He took some big hits, was still trying to get his team back in. But it's a problem, you know? I mean, missing on quarterbacks has cost a lot of coaches their jobs. And this feels like it could be the latest example. And Illinois kind of put out the blueprint for how you're going to beat Nebraska all season long on Saturday. Because Brett Bielema said their defensive game plan was just take away Adrian Martinez. Because they didn't think there's anybody else on that offense that they really needed to worry about. And I think that kind of showed out. And except when Illinois blew coverages in the defense, and Adrian Martinez, you know, had that 75-yard scramble. I mean, I, I do think Adrian Martinez is prone to making way too many mistakes. And at this point in his career, he needs to have cleaned that up by now. But I also, like I said, he doesn't get any help on that offense. There's there's no reliable outlet for him to turn to when something's not there for him. It feels like at times the entire offense is on his shoulders. And I think that is kind of reflected in the mistakes he made because he feels like he's under so much pressure to do everything for them. I thought that Illinois did a great job rushing off the edge. It seemed like they were doing, uh, they were collapsing the pocket a lot. I like uh, Marquis Step, the former USC running back. He was the recipient of a nice little wheel route and he had a couple other hard runs, but no. But he was wide open. Yeah, I know. Yeah, like he did. He didn't do much. I'm just saying, like as a, as a player, like if we're trying to look for anything, like because guess what, your most intimidating threat, your all purpose, your your best receiving threat. He's playing for Kentucky right now in in mm-hmm. Wandale Robinson. Um, also, we've got this from Scott Frost, uh, producer Coca, a nice nice little line from um, WYD Frost on the offense at Illinois. About half our game plan was out the window when they lined up how they did. Tom, can you provide some context into what that means and what that tells us about Scott Frost, the Nebraska coaching staff, and its ability to adjust? Well, all offseason, a new defensive staff at Illinois, new entire staff, like Brett Bielema and the Illinois staff were keeping things secret. They didn't want people to know what they were going to do. Anytime you asked about what their defense was going to look like, they weren't saying anything. But if you look at Ryan Walter's history as a defensive coordinator and you look at the way they're recruiting, you kind of figured, okay, they're going 3-4. They're going to have a lot of odd man fronts. So Nebraska basically prepared for an odd man front on defense and they game plan their offense with what they were going to do around it. And then Illinois shows up a bunch of even man fronts. Yeah. Like they were having two down linemen and four down linemen. And I guess, according to Frost, that really disrupted what they were able to do on offense. But I mean, you got to adapt. Yeah. Right. Come on. Like I mean, Illinois can't. lost its starting quarterback and <laughs> right. seemed to adapt just fine. And I think that's a bigger problem than, oh my God, they've got two guys with their hands down instead of three. What do I do? Yeah. I was uh I was I was not very impressed there. And uh, as something else that we mentioned on Saturday night. It was just one of these teams uh, lost the starting quarterback and had Art Sikowski take over and bounced back and won in the key parts of the game. 
late second quarter, early third quarter, took control when they needed to. They won by eight, but it felt like they were defending the lead and on their way to a victory throughout much of the second half. That last, we mentioned it, the 175 yard from Adrian Martinez, kind of based on a mistake and again, highlighting Adrian Martinez's athleticism, uh, but on a, like a down to down basis in key moments, Danny, you're right. It just seemed to unravel for Adrian Martinez there early. He just started, you could see that offensively they were really starting to grasp at straws. Uh, Danny, anything else from that game uh, from Saturday that stood out to you? No, I, uh, I was playing it live. So I was on a plane and I was, I took my wife to Colorado. That's where I am right now. Um, and I couldn't watch it live, but I was kind of had my phone on like right before we took it off. And like, I thought Nebraska was positioned really well. It came down to like Nebraska minus two and a half and the total went down to minus 43 and a half. So I hammered, I was like, let me give I hammered both bets that I took in our locks and I felt pretty good about it. Um, because I thought they were getting pressure. Like they had knocked out the starting quarterback. They were getting repeated pressure on the quarterback. I thought they were going to be fine. And then the play before half was really just the scoop and score just really set them behind the eight ball. But it just looks like a team that – and Adrian Martinez, I think, encompasses an entire team. They're mentally very weak. And they're – like, good teams don't lose games like that. Like, they, I thought they should have won. I thought they had – you know, the, the box score was pretty even. You know, it was around the same, but – I thought that they had more talent. I thought they should have won, but they found ways to lose, which happens a lot in college football, right? But to me, that comes back to the coaching staff. Like, why are they still making these boneheaded decisions in games that could go either way? And that's a massive game for them. That's a game when you're talking about, do you go bowling? Are you six and six? Are you five and seven? That's a game that I think most people, except for you guys, and kudos to you for taking them on the money line sprinkle, would have said, oh, yeah, you're going to win that game. And they found ways to lose it, which doesn't go well for them. So, first of all, I think Scott's comments or Frost's comments are damning in a different way, too. A, it does make you look unprepared. B, if you cite the fact that Illinois, Illinois playing a different front defense than you anticipated, that you are unable to overcome that, that is a really damning statement as to the talent level that you've accumulated in four years of recruiting. You are Nebraska. Now, I don't think Nebraska is ever going to get back to what they were. I just think the game has changed way too much. But there's no reason that after four years, Scott Frost shouldn't be able to acquire talent to put them on that kind of Iowa, Wisconsin, you know, clearly above Minnesota level. And, man, that you had that many problems because you had, you had to face an even front defense as opposed to an odd, odd front defense? Dude, that, that speaks to your talent level. That, a lot. that the game plan has to be put together in yes. such a way that we cannot, we like, well, we can't have that in because that exposes this linebacker who's not good enough to be on the field against a Big if Ten Wisconsin opponent. Wisconsin did it, okay, I'll buy that. Right, right. Wisconsin, right. Uh, w- w- Wisconsin hoodwinked us. Illinois, I don't care what they're playing. Now, if they're playing like a 3-3-6, that's 12 players. So that'd be a problem. But, I mean, 3-4-4-3, I don't care. <laughs> I'm with you. You got to have, you, you got to have, and... You should have your staple plays that work versus any front that you feel good about. Like in and to me, to say our game plan was kind of half of it was thrown out the window. To me, that tells me it was the really obviously stating the obvious, the bad game plan. But the 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 good coaches adjust on the fly. Why couldn't you recognize this early? In the first quarter, all right, they're showing us this. This is what we need to go to and go to it ASAP. Listen. I mean, that's 
When when Illinois is twelve and zero and ahead of Ohio State in the third quarter of the Big Ten championship game, we're all going to owe Scott Frost an apology. That's that's <laughs> right. It's going to be like that's the Brian Kelly argument. Were, were we overrated? No. Alabama's awesome. Clemson's <laughs> awesome. Okay. So y'all get off my back. <laughs> anyway, coming up on the other side, um, a very, very strange story from high school football over the weekend. Plus, we've got some Oklahoma Tulane news and uh, an interesting question posed by Tom Fernelli in his column on CBSports.com calling into question home field advantage. Is it worth more now? All that and more next the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at newbalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Football season is practically here, so why don't we raise the stakes with a Cover 3 podcast pick'em pool. You can compete against us as well as other listeners for your share of bragging rights and prizes. Get started today by downloading the CBS Sports app or visiting cbssports.com slash cover three. Again, that is just cbssports.com slash cover three. It's simple. Just sign up and remember to make weekly picks against the spread. Beginning this week, weekly winners and a Weekly winners get a sweet championship belt, and the year-long winner gets a thousand dollars and a guest spot on this. What the? Who? What? What? <laughs> Dude, who, who cleared that? Who cleared that? What? Okay, so the uh, weekly winners again. You get a sweet championship belt, and the year-long winner, which better be one of us, gets a guest spot on this podcast. Again, that's cbsports.com slash cover three to play. That is cbsports.com slash cover three. Weekly winners get a sweet championship belt and the year-long winner gets a thousand bucks and gets to kick one of us off our own podcast. If that happens in December, you will literally be taking my spot because I'm, I'm going to be on paternity leave. So, like, you may get multiple guest spots. <laughs> we might need it. Um, Watch out. Don't get Wally pipped. Watch out. <laughs> so, uh, first of all, the I, I do want to offer um, uh, our, our our thoughts, our prayers, and, uh, and well wishes to everybody in Louisiana. If you've evacuated, I'm sure you're very stressed out about what things are like back home. Um, if you've been there, I hope that uh, you are, are doing your best to be able to uh, get on through what was obviously a very, very tough uh, couple of days and probably will be continued difficulties in the cleanup ahead. From the college football logistics perspective, LSU had already evacuated to Birmingham. They are going to be playing at UCLA. Uh, Tulane, I think, had also gone to Birmingham where they've been practicing. And the news a, 
officially relocated. It's definitely not going to be in New Orleans, but I remember it was a, it was a little up in the air. I believe that game will be played at Norman. Am I correct about that? I think it's trending that way. I don't think it's been officially announced yet, though. Not official as we uh, record here live on youtube.com uh, slash cover three. Do you, how, how has um, uh, the multi, I mean, you know, Louisiana, they, the Raging Cajuns, uh, excuse me, the ranked Raging Cajuns, which you got to look at, who might be upset in Texas, drive the line down so Bud can take Texas. Uh, you know, a lot, lot of football teams there um, in the state of Louisiana. Uh, any, anything that you all have heard or noted from, uh, from these different programs over the last couple of days or so? Nothing. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I, I know Dana Holgerson of Houston also noted today that he had a, a lot of players on his roster who are, are from Louisiana, and you know, they're obviously pretty distracted. He said, you know, his thoughts, prayers are, are, are with them. Um, you know, like this is good. There's a whole lot of players from Louisiana across the country who I'm sure are focused on their game, but they're also, you know, pretty focused on, on what's going on back home. Um, you know, like Danny can tell you, he, he lives in a hurricane state. Like when that happens, it's like you, you, you kind of drop everything else. So I you know, really hope that everybody's family is okay. Um, but I haven't seen any other announcements yet. LaTeX plays at Mississippi State, I believe. Yes. Mm-hmm. Are we missing anybody? Louisiana Monroe is at Kentucky. It's Kentucky's right tackle is suspended for four games, by the way. Kentucky's right tackle? Yeah, yeah. but they play Louisiana Monroe. Um, so, yeah. Louisiana Monroe, the team that you locked up at under one and a half wins. Correct, yeah. Okay. Just, I, 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 Monroe is in the north, northern part of the state, so probably not going to have the same amount of you know hurricane damage as some other ones might. It is. I mean, uh, and this is, I mean, I was at Florida State my freshman year, Hurricane Andrew, which was one of the worst to hit South Florida. And I was a freshman. And I remember, you know, you're trying to find out if your family's okay. And it hit mostly Miami. We had a ton of players from Miami there. They're trying, you can't, you know, you don't have service, phone service. Your family doesn't have power. So there's, there. and when we talk about football, we talk about distractions and we talk about uh, routines. And both of these, there's going to be distraction now and your routine is going to be completely um, just done. Like now you're going to have to practice some other place. So obviously stating the obvious, we're all, you know, hope, sending our prayers, our thoughts with every player who's playing in Louisiana. But from what we do and analyzing the game, I do think this is something that coaches, you know, they've some, some of these schools have had to deal with this before, but this is like, this is not optimal for you, especially a team like LSU is getting ready to travel on the road to play UCLA in a key game to start their season. And they were stuck on a bus for 10 hours and a drive that normally took four because they were part of the evacuation process on I-10. Like none of it's optimal, but I do think college players more so than most are able to compartmentalize. All right, just tell me what I have to do. When's practice? We've got to get our work done. And then afterwards, they can kind of focus on their families and take care of their loved ones at home. Um, there was a, a funny comment earlier from uh, from Justin when we were talking about Anthony Brown, Ty Thompson. He suggested maybe Ty Thompson can transfer to Bishop Sycamore, which is when I need to ask my co-hosts, A, did we watch IMG uh, take on Bishop Sycamore, an online-only prep school from Ohio, uh, on national television on Sunday on ESPN. And number two, has this story uh, intrigued anybody? Uh, but if you've got any extra insight on this, um, I'm I'm very curious to see whether uh, whether this story resonated with y'all as well. This was incredible, right? Okay, good. <laughs> I was really yeah. afraid I was coming, being like, guys, this is pretty. 
pretty nuts. So IMG has two teams, right? They have their uh, they have their varsity team and their national team. Um, IMG's varsity team would have beat the beat the heck out of uh, Bishop Relax. Sycamore. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so here's a tweet from Andrew Ivins, and I'll get into this real quick because I, I don't want to. I mean, we don't spend 40 minutes on this, but Ivins oh, writes, could. and I, <laughs> I, Ivins is our Southeast expert in recruiting for the 24-7 Sports Network. He lives down there in Lauderdale by Danny. Uh, reading so many stories on Bishop Sycamore today, so let me share this one. They played a defender on Sunday that's originally from the class of 2020 from Florida. The kid has reported over two dozen fake offers, showed up once to a 7-on-7 tryout, and used a fake ID. His <laughs> huddle is also fake. Amazing. So... I'm actually working on a piece on this, but I didn't, wasn't ready to publish it today. It's probably going to be more towards signing day. We are seeing a lot of shady prep schools pop up right now because the number of spots for high schoolers coming out of school right now is limited because of all the COVID backlog because everybody gets unlimited scholarships right now for returning guys, but they have to – anyway, like there's a lot of these prep schools that are popping up and, and parents want to chase the dream so that the kids go to the prep schools and – Bishop Sycamore has some elements of that going on where they have guys who are clearly like, you know, older, they're prep players. IMG has played some of these prep type schools before. Normally prep schools are pretty damn good because you're dealing with grown men. I mean, 20 year olds, 21 year olds playing against high schoolers. This is not the case with Bishop Sycamore though. I should note they lost, uh, and I'm looking at our group text here for, uh, uh, for 24 seven sports recruiting team. And we were kind of talking about it on, Saturday, and then Brian Doan, who is our Northeastern expert, said, wait, Bishop Sycamore played on Friday and <laughs> lost to a 2A team from Pittsburgh, or played on Thursday and lost to a 2A team from Pittsburgh. So, wait, they played two games? Yeah, they played two games in three days, Daddy. The same kids. And the second game was against IMG, and their quarterback <laughs> and a number of other players got hurt. And I don't know, like, are they just doing this to take the check? Are they basically like the Savannah State of... High school? Oh, but I've got something for you. This Friday, they're going to be in Kentucky. Then they go to I Dallas. Huh? I they don't know who they're too. playing in Kentucky, but they're playing Duncanville in Texas. Duncanville's a hell of a team. On September 10th. They also have trips to Florida, Maryland, Connecticut, Nevada, oh, and Virginia. For these kids. And then so an 11 like game barnstorming schedule. Team. Yes. Yes, but without the talent that people would normally want to see barnstorm. Like they don't have players. Uh, the ESPN commentators and Anish, was it Anish Shroft? Yes. Uh, he was basically like, look, to be frank, guys, Bishop Sycamore told us they had a number of uh, college prospects on this team, information that we were unable to verify in our own database or other databases, blah, 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 blah. ESPN doesn't actually book this game. There's like a booking company that does it. And the booking company told Awful Announcing that uh, if we know they had played Friday with the same players, we would not have scheduled a game for Sunday, uh, which, duh, because that's kind of a health and safety issue. Kind of. You think? <laughs> Especially to play <laughs> IMG. Like, and they, yeah, this is, uh, hey, this they're is young, sad, they'll man. recover. Oh my, <laughs> that is nuts. I had no idea this was all transpiring. I had none of it. Yeah. This is incredible. Sunday but, night, a 58 to nothing win for IMG really highlights this cottage industry that I was aware of that is trying to take advantage of these 19 and 20 year olds who don't have a spot on a college football roster. I, it's, it is new to me, and it absolutely blew my mind. Can't wait for the long-form podcast on Bishop Sycamore. <laughs> wait, uh, there I didn't realize. I turned the game off. So their coach did not approve a running clock 
even after their quarterback got hurt, that's a little crazy. Uh, uh, they went 0 6 last year by a scoring margin of 227 to 42. I mean, uh, I, I am unfortunately going to keep up with Bishop Sycamore. Maybe I'll maybe we'll have a weekly, uh, a weekly Bishop Sycamore recap section, uh, at some point during the instant reaction. And they give up 100. I don't know. Well, listen, like. For real, I hope those kids are all right and they are enjoying their time and having lots of camaraderie because, uh, goodness gracious, that is they are being asked to uh, to try and accomplish a lot if they're trying to go out there and win football games against some of the best high school programs in the entire country. Uh, also, if you do play for Bishop Sycamore, maybe look around and find out where that money's going. Yeah, it's <laughs> a good point, uh, Tom. I want to you, Tom. You have a uh, a column every single Monday on CBSSports.com. Yeah, everyone should go and read it. It is called the Monday After. It is a, a chance to be able to uh, reflect on the weekend, highlight some things that uh, you saw, and expand on some bigger ideas. Your bigger idea was about Nebraska and expectations. You can get into that if you want. The thing that jumped out to me was about home field advantage and uh, the idea that right now it might be worth a little more. What have you found so far in your little bit of uh, research, uh, not only within college football, but sports in general? Well, I mean, it's very small sample size for college football to this point, but it was just, it's, it's one of those things that at the beginning of the soccer season, I was kind of keeping an eye on it with all these teams and all these sports spending the last year playing in front of nobody to and maybe kind of growing accustomed to that to getting back into an environment where there are people in the stands particularly if you're on the road because there's there's a difference like being in front of your own crowd and being in front of a hostile crowd and maybe some adjustment that it'll take to get there and we saw in a lot of european soccer leagues like the very first games of the season when they're all backed in front of packed stadiums there were a lot of upsets where like home underdogs were picking up wins over you know teams that were pretty heavily favored. And we kind of saw that again on Saturday with Illinois, who is a home underdog, you know, beating Nebraska in front of their own fans. And if you looked around at all the other home games, the only home team to lose over the weekend in an FBS game was New Mexico State to UTEP and they're New Mexico State. So it's not like there's a tremendous home field kind of atmosphere for the Aggies in any other week. So I don't know how much really weight to put in that. But if you look, you know, UCLA killed, uh, killed uh hawaii fresno mm-hmm. killed hawaii. UConn. so i'm just looking it's but just that was just like three. playing in COVID times yes because <laughs> yes. nobody was there <laughs> but it's it's just something that i'm going to be keeping an eye on this week to see how road teams particularly road favorites perform playing in front of a crowd for the first time in a long time which is where uh, i'm going to be a huge dummy and out here taking north carolina minus five at virginia tech uh, speaking of this question here from Andrew, uh, which game before Saturday's first kick intrigues the most? So of all the weekday games, maybe it's UA- UAB Jacksonville State on a Wednesday, but of all the Thursday, Friday games, uh, which one intrigues y'all the most? For me, I'm <laughs> sick of ball. I'm going Michigan State Northwestern. Friday night, right? It's the that's yeah. the game after. It's like a six o'clock Eastern time uh, kick from Blacksburg for UNC Virginia Tech, and then the nine o'clock nightcap is uh, Ryan Field, Evanston, Illinois, Michigan State, and Northwestern. Just because I feel like of all the games between you know Power Five opponents or at least FBS opponents, 
I think that one's got the best chance of being close and interesting. I think North Carolina and Virginia Tech, too, as well, because as I was just mentioning, North Carolina being a favorite on the road in a hostile environment, which is Virginia Tech, a very boisterous home environment. That could be interesting. But that's just that one is what sticks out to me more than anything. I'm going to go East Carolina and app. Um, I think this is a really interesting matchup. How well does app staff, you know, like since drink left, like are, are they going to be able to play at that same level? I think there could be a sneaky team there in, in their division, but I'm also very high on East Carolina. I, I think this should be the best team uh, that he's had there yet. And probably the best ECU team in a while. Uh, and I, I think this is going to be a pretty sneaky, good game guys. Legitimately. I like a ECU maybe as a money line sprinkle, especially if Chase Bryce ends up being the starting quarterback for the Mountaineers. I yeah, think the, I'm against Chase Bryce uh, as much as I can be. I think Not the, as a person, but you know. I think the easiest game and it's the the is the North Carolina Virginia Tech. I think that hands down is the best one. Uh, I also think Ohio State Minnesota. Like it's in Minnesota. Like we're gonna see a new quarterback. We're gonna see a high powered offense. Like is this is he gonna is uh, CJ Stroud just gonna light it up? I would assume so, but I'm curious about how they look coming out of the gate. Yeah, and, and the Gophers are going to have 40% of their starting offensive line that they did not have last season back. So you, you'd like Ooh, to think that maybe there's going to be some improvement on the offensive side of the ball for the Gophers, but Ohio State to open the season is a rough ask for anybody. Who is the receiver for Minnesota? This is I, I, I had this flagged in my notes as watch receiver injury. There's a receiver they have. I, I Chris Altman-Bell? Yeah, apparently he's missed some of camp, and I need to see if he's like back and healthy because he's kind of their dude. If they don't have him, uh, Mo Ibrahim is going to be getting fifty carries a night. Yeah, who's got a fight with Minnesota fans over uh, Mo Ibrahim? Me. Yeah, I thought so. Because I said, I said, like, was he a top five back in the Big Ten, right? And I said, not if you can take multiple guys from the same team. Because I want two Ohio State guys over him, and I want two Penn State guys over him, and then they lost their minds. He'll mm. probably lead the Big Ten in carries. Yeah, I would. I would definitely. I would a hundred percent think that he's going to be a like the Mo Ibrahim line this year is going to be thirty-two carries, one hundred and forty-three yards, and two touchdowns. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that's what you got. Coca had a good one too. The UCF Boise game. That's a really intriguing game on Thursday. Oh, that is that is, is one it Thursday. Yeah, yes, it is Thursday, and uh, and it's five points in favor of the Knights. Over under is at sixty-eight and a half. If you look at the offensive coordinator that Andy Avalos hired at Boise, he's from UC Davis, and they snap the ball like every 13 seconds or something bananas. But then I'm also thinking about these boys from Boise, Idaho, going down to Orlando at this time of year and trying to go fast, 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 fast. I mean, we see a lot of – I mean, that's Cramp City. I'm seeing just cramps, 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 cramps all over the place. Uh, Eat your bananas. Make sure that you're uh, all hydrated up. I've got no good feel. I feel like five points and 68 and a half is are great numbers there for UCF Boise. I don't know if you guys have a lean or an edge there. Live, 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 live. If, if defensive head coach Andy Avalos lets them play at that, at that tempo that he was doing it, this number is short and, sh- and you should be betting the live. You should be betting the live, live over. Like if we're confident, Tom, like if you knew that they were going to be playing at that pace, what would you make this number? 74 and a half? 75? Yeah, 73. Okay. You're asking Tom to move anything into the 70s, yeah, which is just disgusting. Sure, but like, cool. I mean, it's horrific. You know, and we also don't know what pace UCF's going to play with. Right, with Gus, where it could be slower. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, this is a live game for me. Um, yeah, great call, Coco. That that one is probably not on my radar right now because I've been focused so much on locks that I'm only writing down and breaking down things I'm confident in. And that is the game where I'm going to go in with the least amount of confidence, but feel like I can learn the most about both the teams involved. Uh, anything else before we get out of here? And once again, ooh, here we go. Question from the Blue Chicken. Do y'all have any recommendation for books to understand scheme or football better? I feel lost when Tom, Bud, and DK talk about scheme. I mean... Smart Football by Chris Brown? Smart yeah. Football, I think, is a good Pretty intro awesome. for somebody. Yeah. Uh, I don't... I, like, I've got, like, coaching strategy books. So, it's like, I don't know if those are, like, going to be that welcoming to somebody who doesn't kind of already know. They're not exactly fun you know, entertaining reads. <laughs> Smart football is good. There are a lot of really good videos on YouTube, by the way. Subscribe yeah. to us on YouTube. If you guys aren't watching this uh, live on YouTube, make sure the notifications on. So when we go live, it pops up on your phone or on your feed three o'clock every Monday. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. Really appreciate y'all watching us on YouTube, but there are a lot of really good videos on YouTube that explain some scheme stuff uh, pretty well. If you want to do analytics, Bill Connolly, a guest of this program multiple times over, has also written a book called Football Study Hall, in addition to some other uh, some other books that he's written about college football history, uh, things of the like. So, yeah, I mean, we're all, we're all trying to learn all the time. We will be back in your feed on Wednesday. Then the week one locks on Thursday will be live, just like this show, youtube.com slash cover three. Subscribe just like how Bud said right there. You can follow him on Twitter at Danny Cannell. You can follow him at Bud Elliott 3. You can follow him at Tom Fernelli. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. Baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.